Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. A young knight gets more than he bargained for after accepting a bizarre request from the Green Knight at King Arthur's court. If you enjoy this episode and want to hear more like it, follow Tales on Spotify. Every Wednesday, hear a fresh but dark take on a classic tale. Listen to Tales free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Sir Gawain was riding high at the Christmas festival. It was his first one as a proper member of the round table, and it had been a whirlwind. Every day during the festival, there were war games of jousting and sword fighting, good-natured contests of strength and wit. And Sir Gawain had come out on top again and again. He'd gained a reputation throughout the land as a chivalrous and honorable man. He knew that being the nephew of King Arthur had its privileges, but they only went so far. He didn't want people to think he was coasting by on his name alone. He was Arthur's blood. He had to be the best. Each night of the festival featured a decadent feast, with plenty of wine and beer for all. By New Year's Day, King Arthur decided that they needed to do something extra special. Sir Gawain sat at the head table next to his uncle, the king. As the food was brought out, King Arthur couldn't hide his joy as he stood. The entire room turned to their king as he spoke. A happy new year to all of Camelot! Before we eat, I want to be amazed. I want to hear a tale so outrageous, so extravagant, that we will remember this night for the rest of the year. Indeed, for the rest of our lives. The crowd roared with applause. Surely one of the knights had a tale that could please the king. But as the roar of the crowd died down, another sound rose up, a rumbling from outside. Gawain couldn't quite put his finger on what it was. The door to the dining hall swung open, and a shadow fell across the room. The entire banquet hall fell silent. Gawain couldn't believe his eyes. It was a knight riding on his horse into the dining hall. He was the biggest man Gawain had ever seen, and his clothing, his skin, his beard, they were all entirely... Green.
I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Tales, a ParCast original. Every Wednesday, we dive into the dark origins of another fairy tale. You can find all episodes of Tales and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Tales for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Tales in the search bar. The tales on this podcast are dark, sometimes scary, and full of adult themes. As a warning, the original story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight features violence, sexual coercion, and adult themes. Please exercise caution for children under 13. Today, we're diving into the Arthurian legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Gawain literally risks his neck to answer a mysterious stranger's devious challenge. For such a ubiquitous legend, the origins of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight are shrouded in uncertainty. The first written version was a romantic poem dated around the end of the 14th century at the tale of Richard II's reign. The story itself is likely much older, tracing back to a Middle Irish tale from 1100 CE with a similarly gruesome setup. The author of the 14th century manuscript is completely unknown, though scholars have gathered some clues from quirks in the writing. The language, as well as detailed descriptions of certain landscapes, seem to indicate that the author came from the northwest midlands of England. And while the manuscript was written around 1400, there was no record of the poem existing until the early 17th century. Catalogued as part of a private library collection, it had completely disappeared from history for the two centuries between its presumed origin and its reappearance. It would be another 200 years before the tale's popularity would truly take off during the reign of Queen Victoria. Since then, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight has become an English-lit staple and a prime example of a Middle English romantic poem. Not romance in our modern understanding of the term. We might describe it as an adventure story. A brave knight of the round table fights temptations of the flesh, otherworldly creatures, and a hellish landscape, all to fulfill his noble promise and keep his good name. Sir Gawain stared in disbelief at the massive green monstrosity lording over the room. He was nearly twice the size of any other man, his head well above the lanterns on the wall. He's half-giant, said Gawain in quiet amazement. But it wasn't just the size of the stranger that caught Gawain's attention, but his hue— He was completely green, head to toe, his leggings, his tunic, his skin, even his elbow-length hair and beard, all green. His horse was even green. The knight trotted across the room, head held high, his red eyes locked on the king. King Arthur stared right back at the interloper. As the green knight approached, Gawain saw detailed embroidery all over the knight's horse and his garments, golden accents in the horse's mane, and even solid gold spurs on the knight's feet. Gawain looked closer. The strange knight wasn't wearing boots. The spurs were attached directly to his feet. Sir Gawain studied the stranger. He looks like a monster, but no monster would be so well-dressed. The Green Knight didn't have a sword or armor. He wasn't dressed for a fight. 
In one hand, he held a sprig of holly, an evergreen man carrying the fruit of an evergreen tree. Gawain would have found it amusing had it not been for what he carried in the other. A massive axe fit for an executioner. It, like everything else, was completely green and elaborately decorated. The blade glistened in the candlelight. The Green Knight finally pulled his horse to a stop. He looked around the room, staring each and every knight in the eye. Not one moved. The Green Knight shouted, voice booming through the hall, Who hails himself as master of this house? The king stepped forward and raised his cup to the intruder. A warm welcome to you, sir. Why don't you step out of the saddle and have some wine? Sir Gawain couldn't believe his ears. Why was Arthur welcoming this man? He didn't dare interrupt. He trusted the king's guidance. But the green knight shook his head as he looked around the room at the red, drunken faces of the round table. He turned back to Arthur. So this is Camelot? These are the most feared, fearsome warriors in all the land, the most honorable knights. I had to see it for myself. Arthur remained impassive, while Sir Gawain's blood boiled. Wasn't his uncle going to do anything? The Green Knight held up the sprig of holly. I'm not here for a fight. I don't think it would be fair, not against this group of drunken babes you call knights. No, I'm here for something else. It is Christmas time, isn't it? The time of joy, the time of games. That's what I'm here for. A game. Arthur nodded. Go on. The Green Knight held up the giant axe with one hand. A swing for a swing. I'll kneel right here in the middle of King Arthur's court and let one of you fine gentlemen have the first hack at my neck. I promise I won't flinch. In return, one year from today, I get to match your swing for my own. The room stirred with chatter. The Green Knight laughed. None will step up? I thought this was Camelot, the beacon of bravery and strength. Sir Gawain knew this was a trick. None of us can step up. We'll make the king look bad. And if Gawain knew that, Arthur did too. King Arthur shouted, Folly finds the man that flirts with the fool, but I'll do it. The Green Knight smiled and dismounted. King Arthur marched right up to the man and stared up at the giant. The Green Knight handed the axe to Arthur. Let me, my king, Sir Gawain shouted. He couldn't let his uncle take this swing. All eyes turned to the young knight. Gawain had just bested all of these men during the war games, and he was Arthur's blood relative. I'm the only one suited for this swing, thought Gawain. Sir Gawain leaned forward, his voice low but steady. My king, if you'll allow me, I will gladly take this swing in your stead. Look around this room. Living legends, every one, the bravest of the brave, and the greatest being your majesty. I'm just a man who has been lucky in this life. Camelot cannot lose King Arthur. 
I suspect it can do without his nephew. King Arthur nodded. Sir Gawain stood and walked across the room, unsure if this was a trick or if the stranger had a death wish. King Arthur handed his nephew the axe. Gawain looked at his uncle. He couldn't tell if the king was proud of him for stepping up. Arthur's expression betrayed no emotion at all. Sir Gawain pushed those thoughts from his mind and gazed up into the red eyes of the knight and introduced himself to the giant. Standing this close to the green knight, he could tell he was just a man, a large man, but flesh and blood. Though his green hue still went unexplained, the green knight glared down on Gawain. Repeat back to me the challenge. I want to make sure you understand what you're doing. Gawain calmly repeated the challenge, just as the Green Knight had stated. The Green Knight smiled and got down on all fours. He flipped his long hair over his head, exposing his bare neck. There was no hidden armor, and the blade of the axe was sharp enough to shave with. Standing here, with the axe in hand and the Green Knight knelt in front of him, Gawain couldn't help but feel like this was all too easy. This man is asking for death, he thought. Sir Gawain lifted the axe as high as he could, and with every ounce of strength he had, swung it down. It was a clean shot. The head cleaved off and rolled across the room. Blood spilled from the Green Knight's body, but he didn't fall. He didn't move at all. Sir Gawain's blood ran cold. His jaw dropped as the Green Knight pushed off the ground, blood spilling out the top of his neck. The Green Knight calmly stood back up and retrieved his head, with no more effort or worry than if he was picking a daisy. The Green Knight held his head by the hair in one hand and hopped back on his horse with ease. He raised the decapitated head toward Gawain and spoke from it. Find me at the Green Chapel, Sir Gawain. Find me or be a coward. The Green Knight turned and dug his spurs into his horse. The horse took off in a sprint, so fast that sparks kicked up from its hooves against the stone. Sir Gawain could only stare after him, thinking, What have I done? Coming up, Sir Gawain sets out to find the Green Chapel. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Now back to the story. Sir Gawain stood dumbfounded in the empty hall. The Green Knight had rode away, leaving only bloodstains to show that he was ever there. Gawain had cut the knight's head clean off, but didn't kill him. In one year, 
Gawain owed the Green Knight a swing at his own neck. The sound of laughter broke Sir Gawain out of his daze. It was King Arthur. The king patted Gawain on the shoulder, took the axe from him, and ordered it hung in the Grand Hall, a memento of this wild encounter. Arthur walked the stunned Gawain back toward the table, doing his best to put his mind at ease. Don't let the darkness drag you down. He survived your swing. You might survive his. Sir Gawain wished he shared his uncle's optimism. He did his best to put on a good face. He couldn't live a whole year in a constant state of dread. For Sir Gawain, the following year was a blur. Winter, spring, and summer all blended together as the image of a green executioner's axe sat at the back of his head. As winter approached, Gawain knew he could not risk his reputation as either a knight or the nephew of the great King Arthur. He had to journey out and find the green chapel by New Year's Day. The festival for All Saints' Day was as grand as any ever seen in Camelot, but try as he might, Gawain couldn't enjoy himself. He had to take his leave. At dawn, Sir Gawain went to King Arthur and requested permission to begin his journey. His servants laid out the finest silks and armor to dress him for his excursion, trimmings of red and gold on everything. They brought his horse, Gringolet, out of the stable, dressed just as finely as Gawain himself. Sir Gawain climbed upon his horse, and a squire brought out the knight's shield, red with a gold five-pointed star painted across it. Sir Gawain basked in the breaking sunlight. To an outsider, he'd look like the perfect image of a knight. But for Gawain, this meant very little. He knew it offered him no real protection. The shiny shield and armor would be of no use against a free swing from the green knight. It was all for show. Gawain dug his spurs into the side of his horse and rode out into the country to find the Green Chapel. Sir Gawain was in the wild and all alone for the first time in his life. Gawain found surviving against the natural world to be completely different than fighting men. Men could be reasoned with or defeated. Nature could not. Every day was a fight for his life. Everything wanted him dead. Gawain worked his way across Wales and up the coast of England, but with each town that Gawain passed, he grew more and more dejected. Do you know of the Green Chapel? He'd ask. But the response was always the same, a strange look and a quick shake of the head. The terrain and weather turned harsh and unrelenting. The snow set in. He was cold and starving. For the first time all year, Gawain began to wonder if he was even going to live to see New Year's at all. Mentally, he was prepared to die by the Green Knight's hand. It never occurred to him that he might not make it that far. On Christmas Eve, Sir Gawain's faith cracked. He knew he only had a week to go, and he was no closer to finding the Green Chapel than when he left two months ago. He could be farther away, actually. 
he was wandering blind in the wilderness. Sir Gawain finally reached a valley, putting the snowy mountains behind him. It was cold comfort, however. In front of him lay a thick, overgrown forest, all dead branches and clustered ancient oaks. The sun was just coming up, but the light barely broke through the trees. He dropped to his knees. Mother Mary, guide me to some manor, somewhere I might have mass for Christmas Day. Sir Gawain looked up, squinting his eyes against the sun. Through the thicket of trees, he thought he saw a tower. It hadn't been a forest that was blocking out the sun. It was a castle. Its walls stretched far off in each direction. Sir Gawain couldn't believe it. His prayers had been answered. Sir Gawain rode his horse through the tree line, nearing the moat that surrounded the castle. The drawbridge was up. Sir Gawain called to the gate. His eyes lit up as a porter stuck his head through a turret. It was the first human face Gawain had seen in weeks. Sir Gawain, helmet under his arm, barely had the strength to shout, Could I bother the master of the house for a warm meal? The porter called out for the drawbridge to be lowered. The bridge hit the ground, and Sir Gawain's heart filled with joy. The full court was there to welcome him, all warm and smiling, full of Christmas cheer. The courtiers descended upon Gawain, eager to assist him with his armor. They pulled off his giant steel boots and his soaked cloak, wrapping him in a lush, dry robe. It was a feeling Gawain had nearly forgotten. Warmth. Waiting for Gawain in the throne room was a large, smiling man with a bushy red beard. He was physically imposing, but there was an unmistakable kindness to him. Gawain could see why his subjects were so willing to follow him. Gawain knelt before the lord of the house. "'Thank you for your generosity, my lord. I've been traveling for months. Could I bother you for a warm meal and perhaps a bed for the night?' The Lord told him to stand. Stranger, it's Christmas. Stay as long as you need. Sir Gawain stood, and the Lord wrapped him in his arms. The Lord set Gawain up in one of his finest rooms and laid out a feast for him. The wine flowed, and the Lord and Gawain chatted away into the night like old friends. Sir Gawain couldn't believe his luck. Of all the castles to stumble upon, he found this one, with its kind and generous master. As the two men sat and drank by the fire, the Lord introduced himself as Bertilak, and finally asked Gawain his name. The grateful knight bowed his head, Sir Gawain of Camelot at your service. Bertilak burst into laughter. He couldn't believe it. A knight of the round table? Here at his lowly castle? Sir Gawain was happy to see his reputation had made it all the way to this dark corner of England and was thrilled to regale the Lord's knights with tales of Camelot and the round table. The church bells rang, calling all to Christmas Eve Mass. Lord Bertilak invited Sir Gawain to join him for the service. The two sat side by side in the Lord's pew. 
In the corner of his eye, Sir Gawain saw someone move. He turned his head and for the first time laid eyes on the lady of the house. She was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen, with a grace all to herself. She moved effortlessly, as if gliding across the room. The lady caught Sir Gawain's gaze and smiled. Sir Gawain deeply bowed his head in deference to her. After Mass, the Christmas festival began. Day after day, Sir Gawain and Bertilak ate and drank together. It was a more than welcome distraction for Gawain. But it was just that, a distraction. As dawn broke on the 28th of December, Sir Gawain knew he needed to be on his way. He only had a few days left to find the Green Chapel. Gawain dressed in his full gear, his armor, his tunic, his cloak, and went to Bertilak's chambers. Sir Gawain knelt before the Lord, thanking him profusely for his kindness, but he had to ask for his leave. The Lord stared back at Sir Gawain, stroking his beard. I never thought to ask, what drew you out of Camelot in the dead of winter? Surely it wouldn't be for any trivial reason. Sir Gawain stood and leveled his gaze. I am in search of the Green Chapel. I must make it there by the new year, for I have a debt to pay. The Lord leaned forward, a strange glint in his eye. Sir Gawain was in luck again. The Green Chapel was nearby, not even a half-day's ride from the castle. He could leave New Year's morning and get there before noon. Sir Gawain couldn't believe it. After all this time, the end to his journey was within reach. Bertilak encouraged his guest to relax. He threw his arm around Gawain. Let's have a little contest. I'll be out hunting every morning. Why don't you stay here, sleep in, and enjoy yourself? When I return, I'll trade you my game for whatever you have gained here at the castle. What do you say, Sir Gawain? Gawain shook his hand. These were more than fair terms. The next morning, before dawn broke, Gawain woke to the sound of the trumpets calling the men to the hunt. But there was another noise that caught his attention, a click from the door lock. Sir Gawain's eyes turned toward the door. Someone was sneaking in on him. Carefully, Gawain peered out of the bed curtains. His jaw dropped at the sight of the intruder. It was the Lady Bertilak creeping into his chambers. Coming up, Sir Gawain's honor is tested. Now, back to the story. After agreeing to exchange Lord Bertilak's winnings in the fields for his own in the castle, Sir Gawain was shocked to see the lady of the house sneaking into his room. The lady crossed the floor toward Sir Gawain. Even in the early morning gloom, he could see that she was dressed in her finest, with a plunging neckline that left little to the imagination. This was not an official visit. His heart sped up. The most beautiful woman he had ever seen, and the wife of Lord Bertilak, was headed straight for his bed. The lady was close. 
her hand reached up to pull back the curtain, Sir Gawain had a crisis of conscience, unsure of how he should behave. He did the only thing he could think of. He closed his eyes and pretended to be asleep. He felt the bed sink under her weight. Time passed, but she did not move. Sir Gawain felt silly. He was an honorable knight. He couldn't just sit here and pretend to be asleep. No, I have to ask the lady what she wants, he thought. Sir Gawain yawned and opened his eyes, feigning surprise at her sitting so close to him on the bed. My lady, what are you doing here? The lady draped her body across Sir Gawain and wrapped the sheets tightly around him. She didn't want him going anywhere. The lord and his huntsmen are all out. As an honorable knight of the round table, you can't deny the lady of the house her wants. She lingered inches away from his face. Sir Gawain did his best to deflect. He was a knight of the round table, for sure, but that didn't put him in the same class as a beauty such as the lady. He was just a humble servant to the house. He could never dream of being with her. The two verbally danced around one another, the lady making her advances, and Sir Gawain politely deflecting each one with excessive humility. Finally, frustrated with the exchange, the lady stood up. You can't really be Sir Gawain. His reputation is known far and wide. The bravest and boldest knight of the round table would never be so close to a woman such as myself and deny her a kiss. Sir Gawain sat up. He couldn't abide having his good name questioned. That would be just as dishonorable. He stopped her before she could leave. Just a kiss? he asked. The lady nodded. Sir Gawain agreed, and she leaned down and planted her lips onto his. She pulled away and thanked him, leaving as quietly as she came. Sir Gawain leapt from the bed and quickly dressed. He could not let this delay keep him from mass that morning. By nightfall, Lord Bertilac had returned. Sir Gawain made his way to the entrance, ready to greet him and exchange their winnings. The Lord entered, covered in mud and blood, sweat dripping from his face and his beard. A dead doe was slung over his shoulders. Bertilac grinned as he greeted Sir Gawain, dropping the doe at his feet. He launched right into his story. You should have seen this deer, quite a crafty one. It ducked and dodged us all day long. As we agreed, it's all yours. Now, what did you win today here at the castle? Sir Gawain nodded. A deal is a deal. He wrapped his arms around the Lord and planted a kiss on him. Gawain could see the look of surprise in the Lord's eyes. He rubbed his red beard. That's quite a prize. Where did you win such a thing? Sir Gawain shook his head. That wasn't part of our pact. Bertilac cackled with delight and slapped Gawain on the back. The two went off into the hall to feast the night away. The next morning, Sir Gawain awoke to Lady Bertilac sneaking into his room once again. I should take a more direct approach today, 
Sir Gawain thought. She feigned offense as she sat down next to him. Sir Gawain, you dishonor me. Yesterday I made it known that I wanted a kiss, and here I sit, and you haven't welcomed me with one. He told the lady that he would never presume that she was there for a kiss, but if that's what she was here for, he was happy to oblige her. The lady leaned down and kissed him. Sir Gawain, a knight of such renown, surely there's more you could teach me. He humbly retreated. What could he teach her about love? A lady of her quality and stature must have known far more than he on the subject. He was careful not to offend the lady of the house, nor betray the Lord's trust. Finally, she kissed Sir Gawain again and made her way out. As soon as she was out the door, Gawain dressed and made his way to Mass. Just as he had the night before, Sir Gawain met the Lord as he returned home from the hunt. Bertilak's clothes were torn, and two of his hunters were sporting bandages, but the smile on his face and the boar's head he carried showed that he had won the day. He dropped the head at Sir Gawain's feet. This one nearly killed two of my men. We had backed it into a corner, but the beast wouldn't bow down. He's all yours. And you, Sir Gawain, what did you win today? Gawain wrapped his arms around the Lord and gave him two kisses. Bertilak smiled. I'd say you're faring far better than I in this bet, Sir Gawain. The two men laughed, ready for another night of food and drink. The next day, Sir Gawain awoke well past noon. His eyes shot open. Lady Bertilak was curled up on the bed next to him. She kissed him on the lips and cooed in his ear, Don't worry about breaking my heart. I am all yours. Unless, of course, there's another woman that you belong to. Sir Gawain assured her that there was no one else, but he would not betray his host. The lady, resigned to the knight's dismissals, asked for one final kiss. But she had another request. She wanted his glove, something to remember him by. Sir Gawain sat up. If he had a hundred men all carrying his finest possessions, it wouldn't be a gift worthy of her. A mere glove would be an insult. The lady accepted the compliment and countered with a gift of her own, a red and gold ring. But Sir Gawain refused. The gold ring was far too glamorous for a knight. She took the ring back, but began to undo her belt instead, a fine silk of green with gold trimmings. Surely Sir Gawain could accept that gift. Again, Sir Gawain declined. The lady was now offended. Not even this girdle? If you only knew how precious this piece is, whoever wears this belt cannot be harmed. Sir Gawain's eyes grew wide. It was New Year's Eve. Tomorrow he would have to face the Green Knight. This belt might be his only chance at surviving. Sir Gawain took the lady's hand. He would be honored to take such a precious gift. The lady leaned close and kissed Sir Gawain. She held his gaze and whispered, Whatever you do, do not tell my husband you have this belt. 
As soon as the lady was gone, Gawain dressed and made his way to Mass. He needed to be sure his soul was cleansed before tomorrow morning. Sir Gawain waited patiently that night for the hunting party. When Lord Bertillac finally arrived, all he carried with him was one small fox. The Lord held it out to Sir Gawain. This little fox isn't even fit to eat, but it's yours. Now, what did you win today? Sir Gawain grabbed the Lord and kissed him three times. The Lord tossed the fox to the ground. Now I'm even more ashamed of this pitiful fox. You've outdone me again. The New Year's Eve party was a somber one, with Sir Gawain taking his leave in the morning. One by one, members of the court came up to Gawain and let him know how much he would be missed. They were all just as fond of him as Bertilac was. Sir Gawain thanked the Lord profusely for his hospitality. He had saved his life. Gawain was up at the first crow of the rooster. He carefully wrapped the green belt of the lady around his waist as he dressed. As dawn broke, Sir Gawain rode out to meet his fate. The guide led Sir Gawain over the snowy hills, stopping at the edge of a jagged cliff. The terrified guide pointed to a path that led down through the jagged rocks to a marsh below. Down there was the green chapel. The guide refused to go any further and begged Gawain to turn back. He swore he'd never tell a soul about Gawain's decision if he decided to flee. The guide trembled as he spoke, but Sir Gawain had given his word. It was up to God whether he'd die that day. He had to do the honorable thing and allow the green knight a swing at his head. Sir Gawain led his horse down the jagged path to the marsh, but something wasn't right. There wasn't a chapel in sight. There was only an unusual mound next to a waterfall, a dark crevasse between two stones overgrown with vines and moss. Sir Gawain's heart filled with dread. This had to be the green chapel. Gawain tied Gringolette to a tree and drew his sword. He inched toward the cave, the wet ground squishing underneath his feet. He stepped into the darkness of the green chapel. Sir Gawain had to stop and let his eyes adjust to the darkness. He couldn't see a thing, but he could hear the whine of metal grinding against stone, the sound of an axe being sharpened. Sir Gawain held out his sword and shouted, Collect your debt, you coward! The sound of grinding stopped. A voice boomed out from the blackness. At ease, Sir Gawain! The green knight leapt out of the darkness and landed in front of Sir Gawain, a giant gleaming Danish axe in his hand. Sir Gawain stood tall as the green knight approached, the Green Knight's voice echoed off the walls as he spoke. You honored your word, Sir Gawain. Now pull off your helmet and take what you are owed. Sir Gawain threw aside his sword and helm and dropped to the wet, mossy floor. 
he bared his neck and took a deep breath as the green knight raised the axe. But from the corner of his eye, Sir Gawain saw the blade move and flinched. It was involuntary and ever so slightly, but he flinched. The green knight chastised Gawain. Aren't you the bravest, most honorable of all of Arthur's knights? Did I flinch when you lopped off my head? Don't you owe me the same respect? Sir Gawain was embarrassed. The Green Knight was right. He assumed the position once again, assuring his executioner he wouldn't budge this time. He dug his hands into the moss underneath and steadied himself. He wouldn't move again no matter what. The Green Knight heaved the axe above his head and swung down with all his force. The axe landed harmlessly in the moss. Sir Gawain turned and looked at the Green Knight, who smiled at him. I had to make sure you weren't going to flinch again, but now that I know, protect your neck. Sir Gawain shouted back, Stop playing games and take your swing. Gawain again planted himself into the ground, stock still, eyes to the ground, ready to meet his fate. It sliced through the air, but only nicked Sir Gawain on the edge of his neck, drawing blood but doing no real damage. Sir Gawain immediately dove for his sword. He snatched it off the ground and pointed it at the Green Knight, ready to attack. The Green Knight lowered the axe and smiled at Sir Gawain. I didn't swing on the first try because you were faithful to our agreement on that first night, and I missed on that second try because you honored our agreement on the second night. But on the third, I had to make some contact because you weren't completely truthful with me. You kept something from me. You didn't give me all your winnings. You kept the belt. Sir Gawain's eyes widened. The Green Knight was Lord Bertilac. He had stayed with him for the last week. The whole thing was a test. The Green Knight applauded Sir Gawain. He truly was the most honorable of all of King Arthur's knights. But Sir Gawain seethed, angry with himself. He ripped the belt off and threw it at the feet of the Green Knight, ashamed of what he had become. He'd been covetous and cowardly. He'd forgotten everything about being a true, virtuous, and honorable knight. Maybe he had never really known. Sir Gawain dropped to his knees and hung his head. He begged the Green Knight for forgiveness. But the Green Knight said there was nothing to forgive. Sir Gawain admitted his failings. The nick on his neck was all that was required. Gawain had proven his worth. He had lived up to his reputation. Sir Gawain was humbled, truly and deeply humbled. Maybe for the first time in his life, he picked the belt up off the ground. I will wear this belt forever, not as a trophy, but as a reminder of the frailty of the flesh. But Gawain had one last question. How? How did Bertilac do all this? 
The Green Knight smiled. My wife is Morgan Le Fay, Merlin's former pupil. It was her spells that hid our appearances. This whole charade was her idea. She wanted to put the pride of Camelot on trial. She expected you to fail. Sir Gawain thanked Lord Bertilac for everything. This was a lesson he would never forget. By the time Sir Gawain made it back to Camelot, the wound on his neck had healed. On his return, the court erupted with joy. They were certain Gawain had fallen. Sir Gawain recounted the entire endeavor, leaving no embarrassing moment out. King Arthur loved the story. His nephew faced down his own frailty and came out truly humbled. He ordered that a green belt be worn by every one of his knights, so it would be a message that they too would never forget. Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is a story that has been adapted and dissected ad nauseum over the last hundred years. The latest cinematic adaptation, A24's The Green Knight, is scheduled to be released later this year. The story is ever-present because there's a timelessness to its message of humility. The romantic themes of the poem lend themselves to universal truths. It's much easier to claim you're noble and honorable than it is to actually act nobly and honorably. And when you're beaten down by the world, pushed to your breaking point, and have your livelihood threatened, what are you going to do? Act nobly or take the easy way out? Thanks for listening to Tales. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Tales and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Tales, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Tales on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Tales in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. Join me next week for another dark and surprising fairy tale. Tales was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Tales was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson.